I'm, have, I'm, I'm so excited for today's show. I've been excited since I woke up this morning because we're going to unveil a new segment, which I don't do a lot. I, I don't like doing corny segments and I don't like naming things or coming up with sound effects. It's not, it's not really my thing. I just kind of like to talk about sports and I like it to be informal. But I'm really excited for today's segment. It's called Pack in Time. And I'm hoping to do this once a week where I watch an old Packer game. And I'm talking like last 10 years. I'm not talking from the 70s. I'm talking last 10 years. I go and I watch an old Packer game and I take notes and I listen to the broadcast and I go back and I watch first take and, and, and all the TV shows from the next day and I try to immerse myself in that team at that time. And we come and we talk about it on air and kind of revel in some great performances and some nostalgia and maybe just learn a thing or two about Packers teams of right now. So today's game, 2014, Week 10, Packers-Bears. Here's the scene. The Bears are 3-5. and five. They're coming off their bye week. They lost to the Patriots 51-23 before their bye. They were licking their wounds big time going into their off week. Now, 3-5 and five doesn't sound great, but this Bears team wasn't dead yet, not only because they had only played eight games, and we, we had only gotten to week 10 by this game, but they lost to the Bills in overtime, and they lost by one score to the Panthers. If one of those games goes differently, the Bears are 4-4. Four and four. Compare that to the Packers, who were 5-3 and three at the time. This division race is still going on. The Bears are still in it. The Packers are 5-3. and three. They're coming off their bye week as well. And they got killed before the bye, 44-23, to the Saints. So the Packers-Bears, both in very similar situations, record only a game or two apart, both coming off an embarrassing loss before a bye. The Packers started 1-2 and two that year. Remember, that was the R-E-L-A-X year. They lost one and two, or they started one and two, and then they won four of five going into their bye week, which is where we get the Packers five and three, the Bears three and five, both coming off a bye week and an embarrassing loss. So without further ado, let's go pack in time. The NFL's oldest rivalry. Let's do it. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. First of all, I will take any opportunity I have to bring Huey Lewis and make him a part of this show. Pack in time. Let's get nostalgic. Let's reminisce. 2014 was a year that I was drawn to when I'm when I'm trying to think of old Packer games to watch. I was very drawn to 2014 because we used that year as a reference point for a lot of reasons. In my opinion, you may feel differently. This was the last time that the Packers put a championship worthy team around Aaron Rodgers in comparison to the to their conference, in comparison to the NFC. So 2014, in my mind, is the last time that Aaron Rodgers had a good enough defense, good enough group of weapons, good enough offensive line, defense to compete with his conference. I know they made two NFC championship games since then, but how'd they go? They got killed by the Falcons, killed by the Niners. Those teams were good. They weren't as great and as all-around well-constructed as this team was in 2014. This is the last time the Packers had a championship roster. I also think this is the last time, and maybe we started to see a resurgence of it last year, but I think 2014 is the last concrete example of the Packers being elite and unbeatable at Lambeau Field. The Packers, in their last 34 games at Lambeau, where Aaron Rodgers played going into this game, they were 31-3. and Coming into this game, Rodgers had thrown 20 straight touchdowns at home since his last interception. This game, he made it 26. Spoiler alert, if you don't remember, all six of those touchdowns came in the first half. The Packers were scoring 37 points per game at home 
at the time. That was first in the NFL. They had dropped 31 on the Jets, 42 on the Vikings, 38 on the Panthers for three of their wins. Three of their five wins at home, and they were lights-out offensive performances. 2014, in my opinion, was the last time the Packers were unbeatable, unstoppable at Lambeau Field, and teams actually feared coming to play at the Frozen Tundra. Like I said, last year, that idea may have made a resurgence, and they had a playoff game at Lambeau Field, and it was awesome, and they had some new music and new lights. So maybe we're on the uptick. But 2014 was the last concrete example of an unbeatable elite Packers home team. Now let's get into the game. Sometimes you can tell sometimes you can tell how a game is going to go. Like just by the first couple of plays you're like, "Oh no." Packers fans probably got that feeling in the NFC Championship game or in the earlier game this last year against the Niners. Like just real early, you could tell it was about to go south. It was about to go south. So the Bears return the first kickoff and the returner gets stuffed inside the 15, which gets the crowd going louder, which gets the Packers hyped up even more, and then a block in the back call pulls them back to the six-yard line. You could tell the instant this game started, it felt like the route was on. And Chris Collinsworth, who was doing the game with Al Michaels for Sunday Night Football, Chris Collinsworth even knew it. He knew it because Chicago goes three and out, and then Green Bay gets the ball, and they're driving. It's 0-0 in the first quarter with about seven minutes left, and Chris Collinsworth says... At some point, the Bears have to believe they can stop the Packers offensively because they just haven't done it yet. It's scoreless. Like this, it, The score is 0-0. There's like five minutes off the clock. And Chris Collinsworth is like, man, at some point, the Bears got to get a stop. In their first defensive series, Chris Collinsworth knew. He could feel it. I could feel it. I think if you rewatch this game, you would get that sense as well. And that theme continued into the second half, even though the game was well out of hand. It continued to have that feel. Because the the Bears get the opening kickoff, they go three and out, and then they have a punt blocked by Jarrett Boykin, and the punt didn't even go down as a punt block because Boykin hit the ball before O'Donnell's foot hit the ball. That's how poorly it was blocked. At every instance of this game, which, by the way, if you don't know the game I'm talking about, the Packers ended up winning 55-14. to Every corner of this game, it was rich with plays where you're like, yep, that's how tonight's going to go. Yep, the Packers are that much better. Yep, it's the Packers' night, and it was their night. They scored 42 first-half points, six first-half touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. And that was the memorable part of this game. The score was, 40, score was 42 to nothing at halftime. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Keystroker Grant, or maybe you follow us on uh, Facebook, at WKTY, I posted a couple of screenshots of this game, just, just pictures that kind of summed up, or little videos that summed up this game. Going to halftime is, is Al Michaels and Chris are signing off to go to the halftime break. The graphic pops up on the screen as they, they do the flyover shot of Lambeau Field. The graphic pops up. Packers, 42. Bears, 0. Six first-half touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. Six. You see a lot of blowouts in the NFL. You don't often see a halftime score 42 to 0. 42 to 0. That was the score. That's what's memorable about this game was Aaron Rodgers. His six first half touchdowns when is this? Brandon Bostick to go up 7 0. That was on fourth down. Then Andrew Corliss caught the next touchdown to make it two. Jordy Nelson had two touchdowns in the first half, 173 yards in the iconic get behind the corner, stay in front of the safety, catch the ball, then cut it back. That was a theme of 2014. Hit for a 73 yard touchdown. And then a tiptoe in the end zone, back shoulder throw for a 40 yard touchdown. Eddie Lacy rumbled for a 56-yard touchdown on a screen, and Randall Cobb capped the half off with probably the best catch of the game, that one-handed go up and get it in the back of the end zone, almost like a basketball player getting a rebound to make it six and to make the score 42 to nothing. 
To put it into perspective, how much Aaron Rodgers dominated the Bears in 2014, and this game was an extension of that domination, only through halftime because Aaron Rodgers played one series in the second half. That was it. Through six quarters against the Bears in 2014, Aaron Rodgers completed 74% of his passes. He threw for 617 yards, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passer rating of 151. Dominance. And that was Aaron Rodgers' MVP year. And it was also a year that saw the Bears go 5-11 and and, and really give up on a coaching hire that went terribly wrong in Mark Tressman. That was the story from this game, and really the story of the year is Aaron Rodgers won MVP. I went into this game trying to pay attention to the offense because I was going to try to point out, okay, there's a McCarthy idea, right? That, that, there's Mike McCarthy's offense. And, and try to compare it to what Matt LaFleur and the Packers are doing now. But you know what's funny is McCarthy's offense, at least in this game, had a lot of creative stuff that Matt LaFleur wouldn't surprise me if he called some of this stuff. There are some creative wrinkles in there, and they actually don't completely neglect the running game. It helps to have peak Eddie Lacy in his rookie year, but the first offensive series for the Packers starts with three straight Eddie Lacy touches. Like, it was, a, it was a focal point. They wanted to get the running game involved. Now, they went away from it, as they often did. A lot of the games in 2014, Eddie Lacy is great at the beginning, and then it becomes more about Aaron Rodgers in the passing game as the game goes along. I don't know if that's by design, if that's Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers, or if that's defenses just figuring out Eddie Lacy over the course of, you know, two or three quarters of football. But that's always the way these games trended. They'd start really heavy on Eddie Lacy, and then they'd slowly go away from him. This game was no different. And why would you keep running the football? Like, why would you run the football when you can win? And Aaron Rodgers threw six touchdowns in the first half. But they actually have a lot of ideas and things that they ran in this game offensively that I kind of was surprised by. I'm like, maybe I'm ripping on Mike McCarthy too much. They did a lot of no huddle, two tight end stuff. So they'd force the Bears into these big packages, and then they'd run no huddle to keep these big bodies out there, and they'd split their tight ends out wide to put the defense at a disadvantage. It was a theme you saw. You used to see it all the time with McCarthy. They kind of went away from it. And part of that was because they didn't have the tight ends to do it. But they ran a lot of no huddle, and consistently they were snapping the ball with 10 to 15 seconds left on the play clock, which you never see now. There's always a second, maybe two on the play clock when that ball snapped. Nothing more. A stark difference from this game that I watched from 2014. They actually had some interesting setups in the backfield, too. Creative lineups. Where Aaron Rodgers would be under center, there was one lineup. It was like the I formation, but it was offset to the right. So Quarles was almost standing shoulder to shoulder with Rodgers off to the right, with Eddie Lacy lined up behind him. And then they also ran the wishbone, where they would line up Bostick and Corliss side-by-side next to Aaron Rodgers in the pistol or under center. And then they line up Eddie Lacy behind him for this weird pyramid wishbone formation. Maybe I was too hard on Mike McCarthy. If you were listening earlier this week, I'm like, Mike McCarthy's simple offense warped our minds. It warped the way we looked at football. But going back and watching this game, and part of it is the Bears' defense is terrible, which we'll talk about more coming up. But... Mike McCarthy was maybe just a little bit more creative, at least at the time, than we gave him credit for. If you're just joining the show, we're going pack in time. I know it's a corny name, but it's it's sports radio and we don't have any live sports. What do you want me to do? We're going pack in time. We're talking about Packers-Bears 2014. 55-14 was the final score. Aaron Rodgers was the memorable part of this game. But during the game, I don't think he was even the focal point or the main story. It was somebody else. It was Clay Matthews. Let's talk about that coming up next. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. The 
Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. It's looking like it could get ugly in the state of Wisconsin. I don't know how this works politically. I'm glad I'm not on a politics show today. The Supreme Court striking down Governor Evers' stay-at-home order. I don't even know what that means. Does, does that mean things reopen? Does that mean we can leave our house? Because we like we have been leaving our house. Glad I'm not glad I'm not working politics today. In sports radio, we're getting creative. Uh, we're in the middle of a new segment. I'm having a blast. I hope you're enjoying it. It's called Pack in Time, where we take a couple of minutes to look at an old Packer game to reminisce to drink up some nostalgia, and appreciate some really spectacular performances. Today, we're examining, we're reliving the Packers and the Bears' Week 10 Sunday night football matchup from 2014. Packers win 55-14. Aaron Rodgers throws six first-half touchdowns. And this game is significant for reasons other than the final score. It would be really fun to talk about just a Packers blowout every day on this show. Like, I, I could, like, all right, let's watch an old game where the Packers won 42-6. to there's enough examples. There's enough blowouts to, to do that. This game carries significance beyond the final score for a couple of reasons. Number one is Aaron Rodgers. Number two is number 52, Clay Matthews. I want to talk about him. First, I just want to mention a couple of guys from this game, and I, I was obviously taking notes and kind of planning exactly what, what we could talk about and 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 what's what topics are we can kind of chew on over this game. A couple of fun guys that I forgot about on, on both of these teams Lance Briggs, like I remember him, don't get me wrong, he's not an obsolete player, but I, I kind of forgot about that era of the Bears defense. Jared Allen, I didn't forget about Jared Allen, I forgot he was on the Bears. And I didn't forget about Mark Trestman, I'm sure Bears fans would like to forget about Mark Trestman, that's kind of a black hole of Bears football. And Kyle Fuller was a rookie in this game, so Kyle Fuller, who's now their number one corner in a really, really good corner, was a rookie in this game. And if you care about punters, Pat O'Donnell, this was his rookie game as well. He's turned into a pretty good punter for the Bears. So a couple of guys that have come around, a couple of guys that are long gone, and a couple of guys that I forgot about. Packers, I don't forget about Packer players as much, naturally because they're my team, unlike the Bears, but I kind of forgot about Jarrett Bush. I kind of miss when the Packers just had special teams guys, whether that was Jarrett Bush or Chris Banjo fill in the blank. I forgot about Jared Bush. I forgot about Mike Neal, and I forgot about their entire defensive line. I'm like, who are these guys? I remember Latroy Guyon a little bit, and obviously Mike Daniels, we all remember. It was everybody else that I'm like, okay, I gotta look these guys up. I also, I didn't forget, but I really appreciated hearing Chris Collinsworth pointing out that Julius Peppers played basketball. Like, anytime, anytime his arm is up in the air and deflects a pass, bam, yeah, he played basketball. He's a basketball player, remember, and that's just a hilarious joke. But I, and we make that joke all the time. But I had, I hadn't heard it in a while come from an actual announcer, so that was refreshing. And it, and it reminded me of this, like trying to name all these players and fun guys we forgot about from this game and from this era. It, it reminded me of a drinking game that I have with my friends, and especially in quarantine right now, if you're looking for ideas, this is a blast. Especially if you're a, a, a sports fan that has a good memory, is you sit around and you drink and you just take turns trying to remember weird obsolete, forgotten about athletes. It's most fun, I think, in baseball because roster turnover in baseball is so it, it's so heavy every year where so many players switch teams. So in baseball, we have a lot more players to talk about because the roster turns over every year. We were specifically trying to name players off the 2000, 2017 Brewers. Or like Those are the forgotten years where Chris Carter was hitting bombs. And like last night, we came up with some gems. Kirk Neuenheis. Aaron Wilkerson, Nick Franklin. We had a blast trying to name some of these old players that were around for an era of Brewers baseball that wasn't entirely compelling, certainly wasn't competitive. It's a fun drinking game, and I got a little bit of that 
while watching this older, I guess six years old now, Packers-Bears game. Fun drinking game. Try it out sometime. We talked about Aaron Rodgers' six touchdowns and his performance, how those touchdowns came to be, how Mike McCarthy's offense, at least in 2014, which was Aaron Rodgers' last MVP year, it actually doesn't look all that dissimilar to what Matt LaFleur might be trying to do. Some interesting lineups in the backfield. They did lean on the running game in 2014, at least to start games, because Eddie Lacy was so good. They involved tight ends in the backfield, which is something I think we're going to see with Sternberger and DeGuara. A little bit more overlap than I expected. What I had completely forgotten about, and I felt really irresponsible when I realized how much I had exactly forgotten about Packers football from six years ago. Rodgers is the memorable story, but Clay Matthews was the focus in this game. And we tend to forget about Clay Matthews and exactly how good he was as late as 2014. We all, we all think like, oh yeah, well he was at his best in 2010 and in 2011, which truthfully, yeah, he was. But to act like he didn't play meaningful football and didn't contribute after those years, it's just not true. And if you watch highlights from 2014, specifically this game, because it's so obvious, we man, we forget how good Clay Matthews was, especially in 2014. Because remember, this was the game they moved him inside. This is the game they moved him to inside linebacker after the bye. It's something they put in in the bye week, and it changed the course of their season. Changed the complete course of their season. And it probably was a bit of a response to what happened in the Bears in week four when the Bears put up 235 yards rushing on the Packers. The Packers still won because his team was really good, but they struggled to stop the run. So over the bye, they said, screw it. We're going to move Clay Matthews inside. And the Packers went on a tear. They only lost one more game the rest of the year, and it was to Buffalo. And if you know how I feel about losses like that, I would call that an AFC forget it game. I think the Chargers game was exactly that from last year. It's that random game that the Packers lose every year that you don't expect them to lose, but they do, and it's to an opponent that doesn't matter. In this case, it was the Bills. After the Packers moved Clay Matthews to inside linebacker over the Week 9 bye and then whooped the Bears on Sunday Night Football, they went on to beat the Eagles 53-20, to which I know Clay Matthews moving inside didn't have anything to do with a 53-burger a week after they dropped 55, but still is worth noting. They then beat the Vikings, the Patriots, the Falcons. They lost that game to the Bills. Then they beat the Buccaneers and then beat the Lions to go into the postseason. They only lost one game after their bye. And moving Clay Matthews inside was a big part of that. And all of those wins allowed the Packers to get that first round bye, get a home playoff game to host Dallas, and put themselves in a position to win a game they should have won in Seattle to make the Super Bowl. Clay Matthews' move and Dom Caper's vision to move him to inside backer was a big part of why that defense was successful and that team was well-rounded. It's not a coincidence that that was the last Packers team that I think all around was a Super Bowl-caliber roster. Chris Collinsworth, he will not shut up in this game about Clay Matthews moving inside. He will not stop talking about it. Chicago's first drive, which equates to the Packers' first defensive drive, the first time the Packers' defense is on the field, This drive took six plays. It went 28 yards, and it only took up three minutes and three seconds of time. And Chris Collinsworth found a way to mention Matthews moving to inside backer five separate times in three minutes of game time and six plays. Five. Five. This was the focal point of Chris Collinsworth as a color commentator coming in, and it should have been. He was all over it. But finding five ways to mention it in six plays is pretty remarkable. And it was warranted because Clay Matthews was that Good. I wrote down a couple of clips of Collinsworth, what he had to say. He said, it's a great way for Capers to get his best 11 players on the field. And then he said, they are strong at outside linebacker with Nick Perry, Mike Neal, and Julius Peppers, which at the time was true, but now looking back is utterly hilarious in my opinion, because Nick Perry didn't turn out, neither did Mike Neal and Julius Peppers. Well, he just got old. Nick, Julius Peppers is great this year, 
And that comment holds true for this particular instance in 2014. But moving forward, the idea that the idea that they were set at outside backer with Perry, Neal, and Peppers is a little bit laughable. At halftime, Chris Collinsworth said, you cannot have a better half of football than Clay Matthews just had. He was electric. He was everywhere. Everywhere. And Chris Collinsworth compared him to Troy Palomalu, which I think is the perfect comparison. They play different positions, and I think Palomalu will be remembered more as an all-time great. I don't know if Clay Matthews will make the Hall of Fame. It's not even something that's on my radar. I, I would tend to doubt it, but maybe I'm wrong. Like I said, it's not something I've thought about. The way they're similar is the way that they play. Palomalu and Clay Matthews in their primes could just flip a switch, and it, it's almost like they would turn into a ball of pure energy. Just a streak of energy. They ran different. They ran faster. They hit harder. It was such an intense style of play. And Matthews playing inside in 2014 allowed him to do everything. To drop into coverage. To stop the run. But also to blitz up the middle. Which which put him in good matchups. But also sometimes rush from the outside. And he made the tackles for Chicago look terrible in this game. Terrible. And I think the Palomalu to Matthews connection, at least that year, was really, really accurate. Because it's almost like if you've ever played Sonic the Hedgehog, the video game, where Sonic goes in this mode where he just turns into a ball of energy. It's the exact same thing. And it's so much fun to watch. It was amazing. If you Go back and watch highlights from this game and watch what Clay Matthews did to the Bears. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. It was so much fun to watch. And, and it begs the question, is Clay Matthews, 2014 Clay Matthews, the best inside linebacker the Packers have had this decade? Would you rather have Clay Matthews inside than prime AJ Hawk? I, I think it's a really I think it's a really fascinating question. And maybe that one, if I have a Packers nerd on, a real Packers nerd for a guest, might be something I have to ask because it's an interesting question. What really cracked me up was the, the response to Al to, to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and then the media the next day. People were offended, offended at this game, at this wretched display of football from the Chicago Bears. Like they were embarrassed. Clay, it got to the point where Chris Collinsworth was thanking viewers for staying tuned in. And he joked before halftime, he's like, are we going to flex out of this game in the second half? Because that's how brutal it was. And the broadcast essentially ended as the teams ran together to shake hands. Chris Collinsworth said, man, I feel really bad for Mark Trestman. He's a great man. He's a great coach. But this thing is going south. And he was, he was exactly right. Because he did feel bad for him. That was an embarrassing game, especially after getting blown out the week before thereby. So they're giving up 50 points in two consecutive games with a bye to lick their wounds in the middle? Unreal. To kind of put a cap on this, I went and I found the episode of First Take that was aired the next day, Monday morning, where Skip Bayless, who was still on ESPN at the time, and Stephen A. Smith talked about this game. And I want to leave you with this, and I want to talk about the NBA coming up next. This is Stephen A. Smith reacting to this game. The blowout was so bad that the reaction by journalists and commentators was almost unlike anything I have ever heard before. This is Stephen A. Smith. We'll be back in a little bit, a couple of minutes, to talk NBA and the possible comeback, which I don't think is going to happen, right here, coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm not joking. I would fire everybody. (laughs) And I sincerely mean this. I would not have allowed Mark Tressman to leave the stadium last night as an employee. I would not have allowed him on a team plane. I would have made sure he had to pay his own flight home. A matter of fact, 
I think I would have done the same for the players. You make enough money, find a flight. <laughs> Rent a car. National Avis hurts, they all do good deals. My name's Brandon Kane. I'm with Remax First Choice in Alaska. A smarter way.